All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Oilers Nation Radio, presented by The Nation Network. Subscribe for free on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you very much, Elisa. Welcome to Oilers Nation Radio, episode 117. I am Bag Milk here with my friend Tyler Remchuk, Rick, and Nation Dan. We are here to break down all things Edmonton Oilers and NHL for you, as we do every Friday. It's uh, next Friday is going to be, we probably won't be doing an episode next Friday, right? It's Christmas next Friday. It's Christmas it? Day, yeah. I can't imagine uh, we're going to be recording a podcast. So this will probably be the last, this is going to be the last podcast for Christmas. So we're going to also wish you very, very Merry Christmas and happy holidays, wherever you are spending that this year. But first we're going to start off by giving a shout out to our friends at Sherwood for the giant out in Sherwood Park, Alberta. Again, it's winterizing time for your vehicle. I don't know about you guys, gentlemen, but it was a very chilly day in the capital city yesterday. It's looking to warm up a little bit. That's nice, but it is time to get this stuff done, whether it's an oil change, whether you need some winter tires, whether you just need a new whip entirely. Our friends at Sherwood Ford are here for you for all of your vehicle needs. Follow them on Twitter at Sherwood Ford and on Instagram at Sherwood Ford underscore the giant. As we do every week, we're going to start off with the giant question of the week. Mr. Uramchuk, this one's obvious. What do you got for us? Yeah, it was the big story that kind of came out in the last 24, 48 hours here. And that's, are you okay with, you know, the NHL going down and moving the Canadian teams to the U.S. if it means, you know, the season can start maybe a little earlier or the season can, I guess, start at all. But I, I guess just in general, what's your take on the report that we might be moving all seven Canadian teams down to the States? Rick, I want to start with you. What do you think about this one, buddy? I don't know what to think, man. I wish there was a little bit more information out there as to exactly why this is even a, a subject, why it needs to be brought up. Um, yeah, there's a lot of questions out there. So till then, I'm just going to take it for what it is and say, no, I don't like it at all. Why would we want them to go down there? Uh, I guess, you know, we've already seen other team, other cities. Well, Toronto have to do it uh, a couple of times with basketball and and the Blue Jays there. So I guess if it gets a, if it gets a season going, 
I suppose I have to be behind it in the long run, but I'm not going to like it. I'm going to stomp my feet the whole way. Nation Dan, your thought about the Edmonton Oilers of Anaheim or wherever they end up? Well, I think I think to steal a phrase from uh, one of our former partner podcasts, everything is wrestling. And I think there's a little bit of negotiation that's going on here, a little bit of sweating, you know, some governments and saying, we got to make a decision here. If you want hockey in your city, you got to make uh, you got to make a call and kind of play along with us. But at the same time, you know, when it comes to fans, especially here in Edmonton, um, I don't think we have to worry about being able to go to games. So it's not really that big of a deal. I think more so for the human aspect of things, for the players that play for these teams in Canada, you know, they're going to be away from their families now for for a good stretch of the year. And, and that's that's tough to see. And, and you've got to think that that's going to affect some people, especially maybe if they have younger families. Um, so that's that's where it's it's tough for me. Um, but I, I do believe that they will be able to figure it out. I, I'm very hopeful. Yeah, I, I agree with Dan 100% on that one. I think he hit the nail on the head. Like, I think there's a little bit of politics at play here. I think it's a little bit of like, you know, the government's maybe floated that out and now the NHL wants it out in the public being like, hey, look what might have to happen here if, you know, BC doesn't agree to sign off on what we want to do. And I also think it's a little bit of a play towards the players from the league. It's sitting there going, hey, if you guys don't want to do hubs for the first month of the season or if you don't want to be playing in a neutral site for three weeks at a time for a bit, then you might have to move down to the States if we want to get this season going and you want to get paid. So I definitely think there's a little bit of politics at play here. So I wrote about this yesterday on The Nation um, after the news came out. And as I was writing about it, I was thinking about it. First of all, there are only seven Canadian teams in a 31-team league right now. So if the other ones are already going to be ready to go or hopefully ready to go for some time in January... It makes sense just to bring them all down if that's where it has to go as the, you know, as the worst case scenario. I also agree that there's probably information going back and forth between the health officials and the league, and they're still working through all the details. Like there's a ton of logistics that need to go into putting an NHL season on, getting it on their way. And there's so many details that need to be, that need to be ironed out before this is able to go. And if you remember to this, to the season, um, if you remember to the to playoffs in the summer, this kind of happened then as well. It was a different time of year, different part of the pandemic, different numbers entirely. But I also remember health officials weren't just going to rubber stamp this move to bring a hub into Edmonton. So I'm kind of looking back at what happened there and thinking, yeah, the situation's different. There's obviously much bigger stakes at play here, but you know, it worked out in the end. They found a way to get it done. And I feel like the same thing here. Uh, The way I think about it though, in terms of what I care that the Oilers are not in Edmonton and that they're playing in, I don't know, we're going to talk about potential cities for where they could go in a second, but like say they're playing in, in Houston, because that's the obvious joke everybody's making. Do I really care if I can't go? I don't know. Is Connor still wearing a, a, a an Oilers logo? Yeah. Is he still doing the thing? Yeah. It sucks. It's weird, but you know what? I'm in a spot maybe where it's just I'm going to embrace the weirdness of whatever happens as long as we get the show on the road. To an extent, if- the people I would kind of feel for are you know like the staff of the Oilers that yep. you know aren't making the millions of dollars that might need to now yep. go down to the states there and like uproot their lives for potentially five or six months. Like y- you feel a little bit for them because you heard stories about that with the Raptors as well. Like people having to you know a couple weeks for the holidays. I know it's not the same because this won't happen over the holidays, but in the NBA, like you had to say goodbye to your family for a while, and you weren't going to bring your family with you to a COVID hotbed 
in Florida. So there is a bit of like a human aspect to this as well. There's a, there's a ton of human aspect to it. And I wonder how much of it is like, like you said, Tyler, just kind of not necessarily a negotiation, but they're still working through a bunch of details on this thing. And maybe this is what it takes, like you said, to push it into a temporary hub, be it Toronto at Edmonton, like it was in the summer or Toronto and wherever in Canada are the two neutral sites or whatever it takes to make it work. Do you think like, if you were to guess, based on just your conversations on the radio and everything like that. Is that kind of where you're lying right now? Yeah, I think so. Like, and, and I mean, it, it's been a frustrating month, just a couple months just to keep talking about this. Right. Cause like I, I'd made the joke that for all of November, it was like, Oh, this next seven days is important. And now we've like sped that up a bit, a little bit where it's like, Oh, these next 48 hours, they're crucial, crucial 48 hours. <laughs> and we've had January one bumped to January 13. And now it's probably going to be jumped to, what we're, we're looking probably January, late January, the 25th, maybe is going to be a new target date here for the NHL. So it's just, there's a part of me that wants to just stop and be like, tell let I, and I joked with Frank Saravalli about this the other day when I called him, I said, Frank, there's a part of me that wants to just say, just, just let us know when it's done and let's just stop talking about it until the deal's done. Do you think well, it makes the NHL look bad at all though? At this, uh, is, Possibly. I mean, like, I I think that having them say, well, I mean, it's not a great look for them to say December. Especially if basketball works. Yeah. Yeah. But but there's differences there, right? Like it's just, there's, there's more money in basketball. There's, 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 but if, if, if if, if the reports are true that the money is all sorted at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I I just, like, I I guess the the element too is the Canadian teams. There's too many Canadian teams to have to, like we saw it, like you said, Big Milk, in, in June, they went to Vegas and they said, well, that's not going to work because of the COVID cases. They went to Vancouver and Vancouver played hardball. BC's health authority said no. And, uh, and so they, the NHL walked on that and then they came to us. But it's just, I mean, there's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it necessarily looks bad on the NHL. It looks bad on the players if they're playing in January. It's, it's less than a month after the NBA got their stuff figured out. The NBA finished has a different, the NHL. but they, they have a different level too. of, yeah. they have a different level of creation, right? Like putting down a court, you can put down a court in, in they any were doing kind it of in ballrooms or whatever yeah, conference they, rooms, I should say. Exactly. You can't put down rinks in ballrooms. Like when we, when we talk about the possible cities that the Oilers could be playing out of that, that's limited to the number of cities that have arenas that can house a team and house them comfortably. So it's, I don't know. There's there's minutia. I think there's going to be like for only seven teams, I think there's tons of cities that maybe even don't even have teams yet. That'll be happy to take. Like how, how often have we heard of the Kansas cities of the world trying to get an NHL team over the last few years? And you know, if they were a temporary home for the Oilers or, you know, whoever it is that they would love that opportunity to show that they can actually put together a NHL caliber facility for these guys. This really does though. It feels like a bit of a doomsday scenario in the sense that, you know, I, again, if they went to the players and said, listen, we have every province except for like today, I heard, you know, it could it be BC again. Like Dan just said, that's just strong arming the NHL. They could go to the players and say, listen, either the Vancouver Canucks move to Edmonton and play out of Rogers place for the first two months of the season, or all seven of you are going down to the U S like, the solution is very simple. It's do you do the players want to move down to the U.S. 
or go live in a Canadian hub for a month until things are a little bit better? Like, which one would they choose? They're obviously going to pick go live in another Canadian city for a month. So, well, well what's going to be interesting too is we're going to have Jordan Tutu coming up on the podcast here in a little bit. I'm super excited to talk to him. I want to ask him what he thinks because he's a guy who's played over 700 games in the show. He would have a better idea of maybe he's not involved right now, but like he would have a better idea of what kind of conversations are maybe happening behind the scenes with players right now of what kind of a deal would this be? Because for us as fans, it's easy to say, just be like, yeah, sure. Move to Kansas city or Houston, or, you know, move the jets back to Atlanta or the flames, whichever they get to choose, or maybe they get both two for one. Uh, It's easy for us to say that, but I'd be curious to hear his perspective or just educated guess on what this might look like behind the scenes. If BC is the issue here, there's tell the Canucks to go find somewhere else to play. Well, but that's the thing, and that's what Beg Milk's kind of saying is that is there is there stuff that we're not thinking Simple. of as fans that the players might have as a you know as a non a non negotiable kind of thing. So it's it's a it's a good point. It's going to be fun to fun to hear from Jordan on that. Like, is it can it really be as simple as being okay? Let's we're using BC as our example. If BC is the one that can't make it work, is it really as simple as being like you're the Saskatoon Canucks for the? immediate future while we try and get this figured out or well for sure it is for sure it is there's neutral site games in in all sports for you know weird reasons here there and everywhere but yeah it shouldn't be that tough to go fire him into a a junior building or something you know i'm there's something out there and i for sure there's something in saskatchewan that could that could do it but I think that a lot of it that we're, or something we're not thinking about, or we haven't mentioned yet, is the fact that all these teams are going to want to stay in their time zone, right? They're going to want to maintain the continuity for their fans because the money and the revenue that they're seeing is TV deal based. And so the, the, well, but, yeah. but, but for a Vancouver team, they're not going to want to go to Saskatoon and play, play two time zones over from their, from their but that's, home. I don't like know. They'll just, just come to Edmonton. No option, Edmonton has the facilities in one building. They can stay at the Marriott. They can not have to go outside and brave the cold or anything like that. I know Mitch Marner joked yesterday about how he wouldn't mind going to a warm weather city for a bit. Like, put them in the Marriott. They can practice at the community rink. They have their games at Rogers. It all works out. Like, everything's there. You're only an hour away. Start your games at 8 o'clock Edmonton time and it's 7 o'clock Vancouver time. Like, to me, if it really is just BC and, and their government standing in the way of this, it's an incredibly simple solution of just move the Canucks to Edmonton for a month and then a month later, go to BC and say, now can we come back? And if they say no, go, sorry, another three oh, well. weeks or four weeks, right? Well, it, yeah. could also, it could also be the issue that we've, we've floated out a couple times on this podcast about trades and transactions and wanting the NHL probably wanting to have that expedited and have it be a four-day window of quarantine instead of the two weeks that's, that's advised right now. So I don't know. There's, there's, there's all kinds of things. I know we're just saying BC because yeah. of the sake of argument, but, but there's all kinds of issues that could be up that we're not hearing about. Have them all fly through Calgary and rapid test. Like that's what Connor did, right? Yeah. He, he came up rapid tested, flew through Calgary and he was good to go. He was posting videos of him hugging Leonard like the next day. Right. So we have rapid tests coming here in like a couple of weeks. Oh, dude, even, even easier. Right. I don't know. I, I, again, I just, I kind of, there's a part of me that just sees right through this whole, we might have to go to the U S thing. Like, I just think it's all like doomsday scenario to get fans riled up a little bit and go like, Oh, this government better not like blah, blah, blah. And to get the players going, Ooh, shit. Bettman would take a shit before he let, he let everyone go to the U S like you look how far he fought to keep Edmonton in Edmonton. There's no way he's going to let seven teams. 
And, and look how hard he fought to keep Winnipeg the... and Winnipeg. Well, it's <laughs> like um, – Hey, listen, some but also, of those I would, I can. <laughs> also, I would say on the flip side, like you have to also understand the NHL's viewpoint as well. If this is going to be a problem with local health authorities and they can't find a common ground or whatever needs to get done, obviously none of us have any idea what the fuck's going on. But you also have to give the NHL – the benefit of the doubt like they need to plan b c and d like why wouldn't they the, if if this was coming out that they can't find middle ground with local health authorities and again this could just be posturing all of that stuff i agree um i get it but wouldn't that be very irresponsible of the nhl if this was going on in the background for them not to be developing a plan b c and d on this yeah yep. you're right there's so much in the balance that i just I can imagine them having all kinds of random hypothetical scenarios that they're looking at that may or may not happen because this is the strangest year of all time to try and do this. So I think that the reaction was a little bit entertaining to me. Um, the people were very like anti one side or the other somewhere in the middle. It just, uh, to me, it just makes sense to come up with plans plan for the worst, hope for the best. And to yeah. me, that's kind of what I thought the NHL was doing with this a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think this is, I don't think this is a very, uh, very high up there in the, in the options of things to do. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't really take this very seriously when I heard it. So uh, if you're looking for options, that reminds me of a nice little transition to our friends at skipthedishes.ca. If you're looking for something to eat this weekend or any day of the week, head on over. There are thousands of options from local restaurants around the city. They are doing the best they can right now, and we encourage you to support them. So if you're looking for something to eat, head on over to skipthedishes.ca. My question for you guys, though, back to the conversation we were just having, does this kind of new set of wrinkles make you nervous about the season? I'm seeing more of that coming up on Twitter again. I mean, where, where were we? A week ago, 10 days ago, they had just said January 13th, let's rock and roll, and here we are You know, a couple of weeks later or less, and there seems to be more hiccups. Is anybody getting nervous yet? I'm not. I still think like they're going to find a way to get it done and maybe it won't end up being 56 games. It's likely not going to be January 13th, but again, maybe it's 48 games that starts on January 29th and we're going to speed up the schedule a little bit, but there's no way we don't get a season. There's no way that come like, you know, January 18th, they just pull the plug and go, sorry guys, not going to work. I think there are some owners that might prefer that from a financial perspective, but Batman's not going to, he's not going to be the one to pull the plug. I just think that also for me, Tyler, I agree with you. Um, I just also think that if there wasn't still real hope and a plan to get this season going, that the PA wouldn't have all their players flying, flying back to their, their team cities. Like just this morning before we were, before we started recording, I guess earlier in the morning, I should say Carpat tweeted basically a farewell <laughs> to Jesse Pugliarvi. He's coming back to Edmonton. Like that shit wouldn't happen if they were really like, well, boys, I don't know if this is going to happen. <laughs> Does anybody disagree with that? No, nope, I, nope. like they're they're coming back for a reason here. They're not coming back just to quarantine and have a little bit of fun and then go well back to Finland <laughs> for the second half of the Liga yeah. season. And it's, and it's not we're talking we're not talking about prospects either, right? It's not we're not just talking about the, the Waz or the uh, the Lagesons of the world. We're talking about guys that are going to be on our NHL roster. So yeah, it's it's that's the the canary in the coal mine for me that we're we're getting closer. It's just minutia now and they're working on stuff and and still obviously negotiating a little bit of stuff in the media i found it a little bit interesting uh bob Stoffer uh <laughs> tweeted out some of the players that are staying over in europe um maximov staying in the k 
Raphael Lavoie staying over in the Alts, some fun skin. Dimitri Samaripov staying in the K. Philip Berglund staying over in the SHL. Philip Kemp is staying over as well. Olivia Rodrigue seems like a handful of guys that would normally be at camp, at least maybe get an exhibition game or just go through the, the actual camp part. They're staying in Europe as well. Any names on that quick list surprise you that are not coming over, Tyler? No, not at all. Like, again, th- that seems like a list of guys who weren't really shoe-ins or anything like that to make the roster or even like, I, don't, I wouldn't have even considered any of them dark horses to make the team out of camp, right? Even with a taxi squad, you probably want it to be veteran guys. So leave them over in Europe or in the KHL. Let them finish off their season, have some continuity, and they'll come to the American League when their year's done. Yeah, because uh, we know, like, Sam Rukov, we knew he signed straight up for the KHL yeah. for one year, right? Because That wasn't alone. When shit went down. No, so we knew that one was coming. I think there was one other one there, too. I can't remember off the top of my head what it was. Might have been Maximov. Um, yeah, that's what it was. Um, they both went over there just because of the uncertainty in the AHL. So we knew they were not coming back for this year. That Otherwise, they were the two guys you would expect to see on Bakersfield's roster. A guy like Lavois having a really good year yeah. in the second league in Sweden. So it just makes sense to let him be there. We still don't know that list just, in the AHL. That list just feels like the first cuts of a training yeah. camp. That's all it is. It's just, it's just they, they have to do a truncated training camp. So those guys are the first cuts. They've already seen what they need to see from them over there. And they'll, they'll have the rest of the season to – to keep working on stuff. Was anybody surprised to see Evan Bouchard on the first wave over? No, because I think he's going to be on the team. I think they, I don't think they're looking at this as a developmental year for Bouchard. I think they're looking at Bouchard as an asset who is going to help them win this season. And, you know, if it was the matter of, no, he's going to start in the American League and that's the plan, we're slow playing it. They absolutely would have left him in Europe for probably another month, I'd say, and then brought him straight to the American League. But they want him getting NHL reps this year. Yeah, well, we talked about it on Inside the Nation, Tyler, yeah. myself, and Zach on Tuesday afternoon there at 1 p.m. Mountain Time. Tune in. Uh, yes. But yeah, I just said, like, the reality is, you know, I, when we talked about it last week, I think it was last week, I, I had said, I don't think that Bouchard comes over. But when you really look at our depth chart, he's the next best right-handed defenseman up. Um, you know, that's that's not to say that, that Ken Holland isn't working on that, but that's the reality that we live in. So him, Lajeson are probably that's your two a, defensemen that you're looking at as a taxi squad. That's not a bad thing to have him as your next next up nope. on on right-handed uh-huh. defenseman. That's a no, great no. that's a great uh, good. option to have. But I think the only that question I, say, I ask is is he the number 7 or is Lajeson the number 7? I think it depends what side the injury is on, right yeah. Dan? That's I agree. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think it comes down to position, but I what I said on inside the nation was if if they do work out some kind of deal where it frees up a little bit of money for everybody, I do think that that uh, and I've been tooting this horn since this all started, but I do think that Ken Holland has to go out and find a veteran defenseman, whether he's right-handed or left-handed, somebody that's played some NHL minutes to be able to come in in a long-term injury situation. I don't think that Bouchard is bad in a in the spot duty, but I don't want to ask Bouchard to be playing, you know, full-time minutes for 40 games this season, kind of thing. I think as a third line as a third line defenseman, if he had to come in for regardless of which three went down, he would come in as the as the number three. And I think the, the coaches would, would handle that appropriately in terms of minutes. I don't think I'd be too worried about it. If they do bring in that veteran, I think it'll be closer to the trade deadline for type of that for one of those uh, playoff push types of things. Uh, Mike Green, hopefully we'll get a, more, a couple more games out of him. Though. What a trade that turned out to be just in hindsight <laughs> because of just luck and in, whatever. Uh, Tyler, you're my resident PTO everybody specialist. These <laughs> might look at maybe bringing in some bodies 
on PTOs despite not having really any cap space. And also, by the way, speaking of cap space, that's going to be a really interesting thing to see how the league and the players work out just in that if you're on the taxi squad, you're not playing, but you're not in the NHL. So how does that affect your cap? Where does that, those numbers hit? Are they clearing waivers to go from the taxi squad onto the, so there's going to be a lot of interesting details that come out on this weird situation. The league and PA have to have to sort out, but Tyler, back to the question, anybody coming in on PTO in your mind? Uh, I think PTOs are so tough, especially with the existence of the taxi squad and with, you know, quarantine rules around North America. Like if you pick a PTO team, that's your one shot. I don't think there's going to really be any of this like, oh, release from this PTO, but hopping back in with this team. Chris in Versteegs? Like, I call you. I was going to say that's the Versteeg model. I was going to say Versteeg, but then I'm like, well, no, it actually would be pretty easy to just drive to Calgary and be like, will you guys sign me? Um, but no, I, I think, you know, maybe a veteran defenseman would be smart to add. I wouldn't mind. Like I said it in, a, I think I said it in a mailbag a couple of weeks or no, sorry, in my rumors blog this week. But I think if you go out and get a veteran D-man up for the taxi squad, and then go bring back Riley Shahan if he's open to it and put him on the taxi squad. Like, what happens? Like, let's doomsday it here. What if one of the big centermen go down and then all of a sudden, like, Turris or, or Kara go down as well? Like, having Shahan around is not the worst backup plan because you know what he is. You know what he can do. You know he knows how to play in the system. Yeah, I, actually I think find- it's a safe move if, that, if those injuries ever happen. But, dear God, am I going to pray against those? That's <laughs> Yo, terrifying. Yeah. 100%. And it would be like, I mean, at this point too, like, look at what Anthony Duclair signed <laughs> for yesterday. Like to get Shane back would be whoever gets him. I'm actually surprised he hasn't signed anywhere because he's going to be a very cheap bottom six option for somebody. Yeah. He's just going to be basically signed for a prayer at this point. So I, I, I think that's yeah. an interesting one. There's a lot of quick transactions, I think, coming as they as they announce it, we've started to see them trickle in a little bit. The Jets signed somebody, the Flames just signed Killington this morning. Like, I think that there's going to be some snap reactions that where they've got the contract in front of the guy, just waiting for the, uh, the go ahead on the season before they sign on the dotted line. Or waiting for some, maybe there's veteran guys out there who are waiting for clarity on what the taxi squads will look like. Right. Maybe they're sitting there being like, listen, if you guarantee me my NHL money, if I'm on that taxi squad, I'm in, I'll sign. But if I'm going to be playing on this taxi squad for, 80 90k i know that's you know a good chunk of money to a normal person but to a hockey player it's certainly <laughs> not um like right but if they're like if i'm getting ahl money to play on that taxi squad i'm i'm sitting the year or i'm calling it quits yeah yeah it's I, weird though like some of those guys i mean double a is gonna have to make that option man some of these yeah, guys which are is in the silly. position to sit a year or you know retire like it's they're in their prime they're gonna be 23 24 they're gonna be itching it's gonna be really weird I, uh, since you mentioned Andreas Athanasiu, I'm going to take this moment right now to admit how <laughs> wrong I was on the thought of maybe, uh, you know, qualifying him at the oh, uh, yeah. money he was at a little bit earlier, <laughs> considering as now, if he does get a job in the NHL, it is going to probably cost that team just like a firm handshake. So I will uh, take this opportunity today. It is December 18th at 1.08 p.m. as we're recording this. I was very fucking wrong about that one. Anyway, I, I was... As- pretty firmly in the guy was like ah you don't want this to just go to nothing here maybe you just qualify him and like come on you'll be able to trade him or something uh the offseason did not unfold that way and credit to ken holland because with that three million dollars he made it stretch (laughs) he got a lot done with that money that would have otherwise gone to a guy who could have been hit or missed you never know yeah also still nothing on ethan bear hey still nothing on ethan bear like and that's one of those ones where I expect once things to get ironed out a bit, like that, that's inter, that's inter organizational stuff. 
that's on tables. That's yeah. ready to go. I don't well, know if the UFA stuff is going to be as uh, as forward, but uh, like there there must be uh, something there for him. Just waiting to get going. Well, we need Clef Bomb's LITR money for that, don't we? You know what? We should really we should really get hard on the podcast to explain this yeah. to us. Hard from, uh, hard, We've been saying that for like two weeks. Behind puckpedia.com. Well, no, because if you think it. about it, if you think about it, you get paid from the first game to the last game, right? So I don't think you get paid for training camp or anything like that. Uh, you yeah, have a contract think- going in, but your contract won't actually start till game one. And yeah. that's... Uh, well, you and need that's to be- exactly when you can, and that's exactly when you can deal with um, with Clefbaum. But, but cap compliance is going to be something that they're going to have to figure out with the yeah. with the new deal here, right? Because technically, you know, according to the schedule of the CBA, they're supposed to be cap compliant right now. But there's what eleven teams that aren't. So there's got to be something in that deal that has to figure out where where we stand with Ethan Bear versus Clefbaum. somebody flip on your PS four or five, whatever, start <laughs> up a new NHL season and see what it, see when it gets you there. What do you have to do? Um, well, okay, but you need to be cap compliant for day one of the season, not day one of training camp. So throughout training camp. You can be over, but day one and with Clef Bombs LTIR, I think we've talked about this before, but you basically want to get as close to $81.5 million as possible without going over so that you can put Clef Bomb on LTIR the second the regular season starts or when that begins. And then that way you clear up all 4.1 million. And then maybe, maybe they are just telling Ethan Bear, like, stay fresh, get ready. Unfortunately, you're not coming to training camp, but the second that regular season starts, Clefbaum and LTIR, Bear gets a one-year $800,000 deal, and they have $3.2 million left out. He, he can still go to camp. He just can't. He can, oh, can he? choose not to go to camp, right? Because, no. yeah, you see players all the time say, you know, I'm not coming to camp yeah, without, I don't have without a, deal, a contract. No. But very few of them will actually go. So here's the thing. So they're what? They're negative $89,000, so they're up, yep. you know. Um, so he's got to shed just a, a, a tad there. You just got to basically – throw Yamamoto down in the minors for a night paper transaction, paper transaction. And you, and you'll be fine. Even if you sign bear, like I don't, I honestly don't think bear is going to get contract. I'm not sure. Um, but like bear, I don't think is going to get more than, you know, one, a million five, like 1.5 million. Even that I think might be a stretch. Like Shillington only got 800, 900 K. Maybe two, but he'd have to sign for two years for that. Yeah. Like I, I could see it just being super cheap and even, and then, at that point, like throw Nygaard on waivers, throw Yamamoto down. You're going to be cap compliant. Hey, Nygaard's on fire right now. We got to be nice he to is. him. Uh, we got a guest joining us on the podcast, boys. Let's get into it. You're listening to Oilers Nation Radio, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Very, very excited to welcome to the show the veteran of 723 NHL games a World Juniors tournament that's coming up here in the City of Champions, author of All the Way, My Life on Ice, Jordan Tutu. Thank you very much for being here, sir. Hey, guys. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Jordan, the first question we were talking about, actually, right before you jumped on, is we were talking about the news that came out yesterday, that the NHL is considering possibly a plan to move the Canadian teams down south for the year if they have to, if they can't find a... Uh, an agreement with local health authorities. And I just thought, we thought from a player perspective, as somebody who's been in some of these conversations, what do you think kind of conversations are happening behind the scenes from a player perspective? Because as a fan, it seems easy for me to say, oh, well, if I can't go to a game anyway, what's the difference to me if I watch the Oilers in Edmonton or if they're in Kansas City or wherever? But like behind the scenes, what do you think kind of is happening right now with all of this? Well, this is all news to me. I don't don't really read the paper or... (laughs) Good for you. Best way to do it. <laughs> yeah. This is new to me, but that being said, um, 
you know, I, I live here in Kelowna full time now. And a lot of guys who play live in Kelowna in the off season and, uh, good buddies with a lot of them that were in the bubble in Edmonton. Um, I don't think it was the greatest experience. A yeah. lot of them, had. uh, you know, I think a lot of them with family members, with kids, uh, being away for months on end, uh, really took a toll on them mentally. And I, I know for a fact that, uh, you know, a few of them were dealing with, uh, you know, mental issues when they got out of the bubble because it was like, fuck, these guys hadn't seen get, uh, grass in, in a few months, you know, walking <laughs> from the hotel to the, to the arena. Um, so, the, you know, dealing with that after the fact. So, you know what? Um, to be honest, I, I I would say kibosh a year, kibosh wow. season, and then start next year because it's. I mean, look at it. starting in January, the guys are gonna get beat up here with a condensed schedule. Uh, everything's just fucked up. Yeah, that's I fair. Get- You brought up a condensed schedule and that's something that I've been thinking about for a while is if the NHL is actually going to get going, they're going to have to pack a lot of games into a shorter time span. What does that do for a player in terms of you guys, at least from an outsider perspective, seem to be almost creatures of habit where you have your routines. Like how much would a condensed schedule really affect your day-to-day lives in terms of preparation and practice and all of that? Me, I I would feel like I'm if I was still playing I feel like I'd uh, I'm in a playoff series because you know you the games are so condensed that you know you play a game you got to forget about it win or lose right and on to the next one just just keep firing away but you know mentally physically it takes a freaking toll on on the guy right and come playoff time uh, I, I guarantee you guys, a lot of guys on, on the teams that make it are going to be burnt out. And, um, you know, it's it's injuries, uh, you know, the, the quick turnaround. Uh, God, I, it's, it's going to be interesting. Well, and it's something too, Jordan, we you know we were talking about it and that's why we're so excited to have you here is talking about World Junior Hockey. And, you know, for you, that in that truncated kind of a tournament, where you're, you were the energy guy back in 2003. You were the, the that was kind of your welcoming party to the, uh, to the hockey community. And, and everybody got excited about the old 2-2 train uh, coming to town. So, so, yeah, I mean, speaking to that, it's for a World Junior Tournament, it, it's got to be hard on you mentally and physically to be able to get up and, and play for your country every day back-to-back and, and games three and four and, and five nights kind of thing. Yeah, you know what? You know, at that age, 16, 17, 18, 19 year old, uh, you know, you're full of piss and vinegar. And, <laughs> uh, you know, to represent your, your country, God, uh, it's, it's, you're, you're on such a high to begin with that, you, you know what, you got to keep that momentum going, win or lose, especially in a tournament like that. Uh, I, I've watched the world juniors ever since I, I played in them and, you know, watching certain players, um, 
you, you know, you, you can't get down on yourselves on, on yeah. these types of situations because it's it's like a playoff series, one game playoff series. And, uh, guy, you know, at that age, it's it might be a little harder for guys to get over um, whether they made mistakes or they lost the game. Um, but, you know, I think as a, as players, uh, you, you got to realize that you got to let go of the, the game you just played and, and move on to the next one, win or lose. Uh, it's just like, you know, being in the Stanley Cup finals, game seven, right? Or, you know, it's um, obviously this is on yeah. an international stage and, and to represent freaking Canada, uh, you know, for a kid coming from Nunavut, uh, it's <laughs> It's dream playing street hockey, you know, and, and watching and being a part of it was just a amazing experience. Looking back so, at that, uh, that Oh three camp and, and going into the training camp for team Canada, like we're seeing right now, all the videos that are being posted of the kids finding out they're making the team and how excited they were. What do you remember about maybe the pressures you felt during training camp? And, and do you remember the moment when you found out you made the team? What was that like? Well, I don't think I was even on on the Canadian Hockey Canada radar um, as a 18, 19-year-old until, uh, uh, you know, up uh, training camp or the tryouts in December. You know, I, I, I was leading the league, the Western Hockey League in points uh, leading up to that tournament. And so, you know, I think Hockey Canada was like, holy shit, like, you know, we got to invite Tutu and... Uh, <laughs> You know what? I just, I buried my head. I just, you know, did everything that I could control to, uh, to give myself the best opportunity. And that was just working hard, being a good teammate, being a good guy in the dressing room. Um, and next thing you know it, uh, I remember I was roommates with, uh, Derek Roy and, uh, come final cuts, you know, the phone rings in our in our hotel room and i look over at roisy and i'm like you fucking answer it he's like no you answer it <laughs> uh, i answered the phone and got the news that i made the team i tried to stay composed because i didn't know if roisy made the team or not and i handed him the phone and he hung up and looked over at me and had the biggest grin and and that's when uh that's when i knew we uh we both made the team so it I, was it was it was awesome <laughs> um we also earlier in the week on one of our other podcasts we had uh we had jeff Wicka on the podcast and he uh he mentioned that he spent some time with you at the world juniors and he brought up a story and and we want you to confirm it for us uh, he brought up a story about you selling caribou jerky at the 03 World Juniors. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so in my in my community, uh, I'm from Rankin Inlet, Nunavut, which is located right along the Hudson Bay. Um, we had a meat processing plant there, and they produced caribou jerky. And so, uh, you know, on the side, I was indeed selling caribou jerky. <laughs> That is fantastic. We're loving it. And I always, I always told the guys, you know, you eat this shit, 
it's going to make you go nuts on the ice. It gives you that extra boost and, and all the, you know, rather than taking Sudafed and, and, you know, <laughs> else to give you energy. I said, boys, eat this stuff. It'll, it'll give you that extra boost. And, uh, they all fell for it. And <laughs> I guess it worked until the, the gold medal game. It was funny listening to Jeff tell the story too, because he's like, you know what? It's social media had been around when we were in the World Juniors. Maybe, uh, maybe Jordan would have been able to sell more jerky than he did back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> totally, I would have, I would have made a killing. But uh, <laughs> you know what? It was uh, me, Roisey, um, Jeff Bulwicka. Yeah, we we played juniors. He played with the Rebels, and every year we played in the playoffs. We uh, we had our little battles going. Unbelievable guy, um, you know, just a, a true uh, great teammate. Um, had the opportunity to fight him in the big leagues a couple times, and it was it was all good. Well, yeah, I was going to say, Jordan. Yeah, I'll let Tyler lead into it, but we, you know, we uh, we partner with HockeyFights.com, and and. Uh, and so, yes, uh, on that podcast, Tyler has a clip he wants to play for you here from Jeff. Yeah, we, we asked uh, Boy Wick uh, about his fights with you. And here, I got about a 30-second clip to play for you. Your first NHL fight, I think that would have been uh, the one against Tutu. Jordan Tutu, right? Tutu, that was at center ice in Nashville, and he would chase me around. He would chase me around in Red Deer. <laughs> I fought him eight times one year when we were playing against Red Deer and Brad, and he would chase me around the rink every time. I never understand it. Yeah. You two were roommates at World Juniors. He just wanted to fight me. And now he just wants to fight you. I do not get it. Did it have to do with the beef jerky? Did you? I didn't put any in my suitcase. Uh, But he said you guys had some crazy, crazy battles in junior. Yeah, you you know I I always like picking on the uh, the bigger guys, right? And and uh, Loisey was you know what is he six foot three, two hundred. He's a big dude. Yeah, two hundred twenty pounds back then. I'm, I don't know what he weighs now. I'm, I don't want to take a guess, but <laughs> yeah, we, uh, it was just one of those things, right? You know, I, I'd much rather fight Boise than, you know, a guy like Vandermeer or, uh, you know, a couple of the heavyweights that, um, Red Deer had back then. Um, but yeah, you know what, uh, just a, a big teddy bear that guy is and it, it was always it's it it's funny a couple days ago um we were chatting and i i said you know what boise um i was never mad when we fought and i can honestly say uh you're probably the only guy that you know i enjoyed fighting because you know every fighter let's let's be real here you know, if that's your role, I don't think guys really enjoy it. But, you know, at the end of the day, you got to do what you got to do if you want to, uh, you know, make make the big leagues. And that was my that was my role. And every time me and Moisey fought, it was to entertain the fans. As we were yeah, getting ready for today's podcast, Jordan, we were kind of talking about, again, going through some of your, your fight catalog at hockeyfights.com. It seemed like there was no weight class for you. You were just, whoever <laughs> needed to get it, you were ready to step up and do it. How did you kind of overcome? I, I mean, I just imagine for myself, how'd you overcome the fear of maybe going up against a guy who, you know, he's got some reach and some pounds on you? Well, 
guys, when you have a set of moose nets on you, (laughs) 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 no, ultimately, you know what, uh, for me, I I always use this, this line mind over matter. Uh, you know, your, your brain, when you, when you tell yourself that, Hey, you go into any fight that you're going to win, win or lose, it gives you an opportunity right off the bat. And, uh, for me, uh, I would say, because of the way I grew up, uh, the environment, um, you know, you, every, every young kid growing up in the far north in remote communities ha- has to be mentally strong to survive. And that's something that I am forever grateful to, to have. And, uh, you know, because it's helped me throughout my, my hockey career to, uh, when times are tough to just, just keep putting one foot in front of the other and uh, you never know what, what, what might happen. Another thing I was thinking about as we were getting set for this interview was you, you and I are roughly the same age. So I watched from your time at the world juniors all the way you're through Nashville, through the end of your career. One thing I think about with you is you hit like you hit like a truck. So I want to flip it on the reverse to you. Who was a guy maybe when you were playing that, you knew if he was on the ice, you had to keep your head on a swivel because if you didn't, he would tag you. Well, when I was young, early in my career, uh, not that we played the New Jersey Devils a lot, but uh, I had the opportunity to play against Scott Stevens. And I remember going into the corner and I was just like, oh, shit, you know. <laughs> uh, like, You're right at elbow height. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he's one guy. I mean, the guy, I, I, fortunately, I – I had the opportunity to be coached by him when I was playing in New Jersey. And uh, he actually brought up that play. He's like, Toots, remember, you know, you kind of knocked the wind out of me. I'm like, I did? Fuck, I think broke like three of my ribs and (laughs) (laughs) located my shoulder. But (laughs) um, nothing – that really stands out. I, I was always a guy who, you know, had my head on a swivel every time I was on the ice. And um, I think earlier in my career, I was more looking for that big hit every shift. Uh, the game was a lot different, you know, 15 years ago, uh, you know, where the, the third and fourth line guys, it was a freaking battle. And, um, Thank goodness I had heavyweights on both sides of me to uh, to look after me. Well, I know specifically your time in Nashville, you blew up a bunch of Oilers that oh, we yeah. had been watching at the time. So it was always a concern when the Oilers ever went to get into Nashville or had Nashville here. Oh, one of my favorite barns to play in was uh, when we came up to play Edmonton because I had, you know, we, you guys all know the, the big indigenous communities uh, around Edmonton. Um, a lot of lot of fans came out and watched, and I'll tell you guys a story. Uh, we we played in Vancouver, and we had like three days off in Vancouver. Our, our next game was in Edmonton. Well, early in my career, I was still drinking and uh, you know having a good time. I um, woke up one morning and I decided to go get a tattoo on my back. <laughs> Figured, you know, a couple of days off, the tattoo will heal up before we play Edmonton. And uh, we, get, we, we get to Edmonton and, 
you know, the Oilers are promoting me being in town and, uh, you know, sold a bunch of tickets to all the reserves and uh, come game time, Trotsy calls me into his office and healthy scratches me. Wow, shit hit the fan. The fans were losing it. Uh, <laughs> we're asking for refunds and, you know, Trotsy kind of gave me a little, uh, you know, lesson learned to, uh, to never get a tattoo during the season. Never know if it might get infected or not. So yeah, that, that was wow. just me young and stupid. How's How the tattoo looking these days? Fantastic. you've uh you mentioned barry trotz there and you've had you've had quite the uh the repertoire of coaches that have uh have been with you over the years is there one that you really look back and say you know that guy that guy really helped me uh become a better professional better better person anything like that well trotzy by far you know he I started off in Nashville as a 20 year old. I had eight tremendous years there with him. Uh, Trotsy cared about Jordan Tutu, the person, not the hockey player. And he, you know what? Uh, you, you don't see that too often uh, with coaches. And, um, you know, he was the one that helped me get through my uh, um, struggles off the ice. Um, and, and someone that, was able to relate to my story, uh, you know, and so I, I commend Trotsy for allowing me and giving me an opportunity to uh, to fix myself in order to keep playing in the NHL. Jordan, one of the areas I wanted to touch on with you, and and this is a question I love whenever we get a chance to talk to a guy who who fought a lot in his career. I always want to talk about goals as well, because I mean, you mentioned it in the WHL, you were leading the league in scoring heading into the world junior break. Like you had offensive skill. Is there a goal in your career that stands out as like the best goal you scored? Maybe it was a big playoff game. Maybe it was the one at the world juniors, but is there one that stands out? Oh, well, obviously my first NHL goal, uh, I think it was October. Can't remember the exact day. Like I said, I've been punching the fucking head. (laughs) (laughs) Where he's not the greatest, but we were playing Atlanta Thrashers. Um, I was at the top of the left face-off dot. Um, Married Zilicki, our centerman won the draw back to Married Zilicki. Uh, Zalicki pass it over to Dan Hamhuse and uh, Hammer, I believe it was either Hammer or Zalicki uh, gave me a one timer and I scored a goal on I think it was Passy Nerman. And oh, nice. um, I did just find the goal that was October 23rd, 2003. So we'll definitely include that in the article as well. That's super cool. Yeah. You just blasted it from right from the circle. Yeah, I, I honestly I didn't even know it went in at the start. And, until the guys put their hands up, but um, probably one of my most memorable goals, I would say, is I only scored two goals in the World Juniors, and the first one, um, you know, just the it was in Halifax, and and the place just erupted, and I was just, you know, you can feel the vibration right down your spine every time we scored a goal, but. Um, Scoring a couple goals on that stage was pretty pretty awesome. 
Well, I, I was in Halifax at the time, Jordan, and I can confirm that, like, I was talking to random strangers up on the concourse about this Jordan 2-2 kid and how exciting it is to watch you. So it was it was great. And to talk about World Juniors again, um, you know, and talking about the fans, we, we've got all these kids now that are getting into this tournament and they're not going to have fans to watch them. How do you think that kind of changes the mentality of the, the tournament as a whole? I know you as a player would, you know, you could get the crowd going in a, in a pretty good, uh, pretty good way there, whether it was a hit or a goal, but, but yeah, speak to, uh, you know, the experience for these kids, how it's going to be different, not having any fans in the stands. Well, you know, obviously anytime you have your fans behind you, it gives that little extra boost. And I, I, experienced the world juniors here in vancouver a couple years ago and i was sitting in the in the stands watching and i you know reminiscing like god like when i was their age i didn't realize how passionate canadian fans are for team canada and i'm just looking around in the arena and it's just like wow like these these young kids have no idea how much they mean to our country. And that's a lot of pressure, right, for these kids. But, you know, I think, you know, having that momentum behind, it's going to be it's going to be totally different for these kids. You know, I think ultimately it's got to come from within uh, the guys in the dressing room. Uh, the role players got to play a huge role in keeping the guys up, you know, your top guys. Um, I remember no one ever treated anyone differently, whether you're a first-line guy or a fourth-line guy. And it's it's all about the sacrifice, right, in, in, in that tournament. Like, uh, you know, I remember being the leading goal scorer of my team, but I was playing uh, fourth line minutes, you know, maybe four or five, six minutes a game, but I accepted the role. And and sometimes it's difficult for these kids to accept the role that they're given. Um, it could be a different role. And you, you know what, when everyone's on the same page, uh, guys on the bench are, are, are cheering each other on. That's where the energy is going to come from for these kids. Do you, if you were to maybe even give it some advice just in general on creating the fire within, like, do you have an idea maybe how you talked about the role players are going to have to try and do some more in terms of getting that going with the players? If the crowd's not there, what can a person do to build that fire within to make sure that they're going forward um, in an environment that's so abnormal? Yeah, first things first is stay off social media. Don't read the media papers. That's where a lot of kids get messed up, right? Whether, you know, they, the media is pumping their tires or they're, they're trying to drag them down. You know, I think that has, plays a big toll on a tournament like this. Um, you know, believe in yourself. Trust your teammates. You know, go to war for, for the guy that you're sitting next to in the dressing room set aside all your your selfishness your ego um your narcissism you know it, it's it's about three weeks of coming together and and doing it for the guy next to you um i think that's the biggest thing for a tournament like this these kids have to realize is when you put your when you when you lace them up, do it for the guy next to you. 
all the individual accolades, uh, individual success will come if the team's having success. So uh, do it, do it for each other. Oh, Jordan, I, I think that's really, really well put. Uh, we really appreciate you giving us some time today. It was great to pick your brain a little bit on the World Junior experience, talk a little bit about hockey fights as well. So we really appreciate you giving us some time today. My pleasure, guys. Anytime. Wow. Amazing conversation with Jordan too, too. I want to thank actually Hockey Canada for helping us put this together. Uh, tournament's kicking off, boys. We just spent uh, time talking about one of its stars from the past and can't Thank Jordan Tutu enough for his time. Team Canada is going to going right away. We're going to have some stuff to give away, courtesy of mm-hmm. Hockey Canada, on the nation's social accounts. So stay tuned for that. I'm looking forward to it. And again, we will be promoting Team Canada throughout the tournament as well as we cheer them on, hopefully, towards a gold medal. Uh, just, to, just to kind of wind that down, boys, what did, uh, what did everybody think about how that went? Oh, just, just a great guy in general. Like you can tell he, he loves sharing his story and all of that. And he gave us some great answers on the world juniors as well. Like that, that was just really fun. And, and of course we needed the confirmation on the caribou jerky story. All right, quickly, before we move on that interview brought to you by cornerstone insurance, cornerstone ins.ca is where you can find them a nice little, get a quote button on there as well. Edmonton zone cornerstone insurance, solid protection, sound advice. Yeah, of course. And it, it was nice to know that uh, there was no animosity of when he, he was uh, chasing <laughs> Jeff Waywicker out for yeah. scraps. Well, and for me, like, I, like I, I mentioned in the interview there, like being in Halifax around that time, that was, his, that was just his introduction to all of us, I think, as hockey fans. Um, unless, you, unless you were following the WHL pretty closely, it was, uh, he was just an absolute fireball for that team that year. And, and they just happened to come up against Alexander Ovechkin, um, playing in the world juniors and they, they lost in the finals, but yeah, he's, he's just a down to earth, good guy. And he, and he's really honest. And I, I love when we have these interviews and the guys are just straight up and honest with us about, you know, you didn't like fighting and you get that, you understand that, but he knew his role and, and he played it well. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun to do these interviews. I'm really looking forward to talking to him again as well. After we wrapped up, we spent another couple of minutes just kind of thanking him for his time. And he did offer to come back, boys. So that means we didn't do a horrible job. Yeah, yeah did, there you go. It wasn't too uncomfortable. <laughs> you, get those, you get those hour-long sit-downs. Those are always fun. They always tend to – you have a bit of a script for it, and then it kind of wanders off one way or some way, and then you get a real good story on down, down those little avenues. Yeah. Because, he, I mean, he even talked about it, right? Like – I, th- I think it was, I loved what he said when I asked him about having an internal fire that it's hard work and you got to push yourself forward and to, to be able to eventually be able to sit down with him again for a longer period of time and go through his entire career from the come up to the, to the world juniors, to the NHL, to where he's at now. I think that'd be a really, really interesting conversation. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, like like you guys said it's 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 nice to know that we didn't uh we didn't offend or anything but like he had he had an answer for literally every question we asked yeah you know it's just he's uh he's he's a really good dude these guys are and, and it's, that's something i think it's a good reminder for everybody um you know i i i, I think everybody here kind of understands it but but maybe people watching at home or listening at home maybe you know tend to forget and i when i was younger i did forget too that these are these are kids at the world juniors and this is a ton of pressure for them. They're slapping on their country's logo. And I'm not just talking about Canadians either. 
And, and so, you know, he, his, his uh, advice was to log out of social media and not pay attention to the media. But, you know, at the end of the day, these are kids and this is uh, this is one of the biggest moments in their careers, whether they know it or not at this point, as he, as he mentioned. And again, Jordan Tutu, you can pick up his book all the way, My Life on Ice, jordantutu.com. You can go find out where to pick up that book there. I encourage you to do it. He is fascinating. A lot of great stories. I'm looking forward to the next time we get to speak to him because I know he's going to pull out more stories that uh, we may not have expected and it's going to be a great conversation. So again, thank you to Hockey Canada for helping us put it together and to Jordan Tutu for just giving us the time and yep. being willing to uh, share his story with us. So that's great. Uh, if you have any feedback on the interview, hit us up on social, Owen Radio Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Slide into the DMs. Tell Tyler that we did a good job. Tyler mm-hmm. had his buttons ready. His yeah, quick quotes. We had questions available. Nobody talked over each other. I think all in all, that was a the great producer's job. dream right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know what else is a producer's dream, Tyler, is when it's time to get your buttons ready because yes. it is the... Hot and cold performers of the week. Yes. I don't have That's a button. I just press for that. <laughs> we should come up with some kind of, if you have an idea, or oh, you know what we could do? That little clip from uh, Katy Perry's Hot or Cold. Yeah, sure. That's what we could put in there eventually. I don't know. He's um, writing that down. Yeah, he's writing it down. Tyler, is it professional? I want to thank Tourism Jasper for making the hot and cold performers possible. Head on out to Jasper. Get outside. If the weather's nice, marmot's open. You want to do some hiking? Available. You want to do some cross-country skiing? Let's do it. They are available for some outside options to get outside and enjoy the beautiful mountains in our wonderful, wonderful province. As we do every week, we are starting with the cold performers of the week, meaning the things that were not so nice over the last seven days of our life. As I'm looking at the Zoom screen, Dan is on my far right, so I'm going to start with him with the Tourism Jasper, cold performer of the week well my i'm treading lightly on this one it's i'm not going to name any specifics but it's just been a week of uh social media issues all over uh the western canadian fandoms i just i would like to say everybody on social media just take a deep breath and and you know think about what you're saying and think about who you're attacking all that kind of stuff uh, especially as we go into this, uh, you know, this holiday season and people are going to have a little bit more time on their hands. So it's, it's hockey Twitter uh, for the last couple last week or last couple weeks. Uh, my cold performance of the week. They are just fucking, Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> they are the just wrong fucking, button. Oh, nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next up uh, on my screen, I see my pal and trip roommate, Rick, your tourism Jasper, cold performer of the week. Well, this has to go to whoever, this might be multiple people, but whoever's coming up with this whole, we can't play hockey in Canada thing. Like, I know we don't really take it that seriously, so that's fine, but that's enough to get on my, uh, on my list here. <laughs> so whoever's idea this is, whoever's getting in the fucking way, get the hell out of the way. You're definitely the cold performer this week. I'm upset. Mr. Ramchuk, you're next up on my screen. Your Tourism Jasper, Cold Performer of the Week. Uh, my Cold Performer of the Week goes out to uh, the news that Henrik Lundqvist isn't going to be able to play this year. I mean, yes. just an absolute legend, a lock to be in the Hall of Fame. The heart condition is going to keep him out of the NHL this year. And I mean, if you read between the lines a little bit, mm-hmm. I, I'm a little worried this might be the end 
for King Henrik before he gets to, to finish off his career on his own terms. So uh, too bad. One of the best goalies of, uh, of his generation, Henrik Lundqvist's career, uh, potentially being cut short. That is my cold performer of the week. Are you thrilled? I'm not. Uh, nor should you be thrilled, Tyler. Um, my Tourism Jasper cold performer of the week ends up being me. Uh, yeah. because I hadn't, well, I hadn't weighed myself in a while, Tyler, you know, <laughs> it's been a while and I've been eating a lot of Doritos and pizza and carbs in hey, general and drinking more alcohol. No, I'm not saying there is, but Dan, I got to tell you, bag milk a little thicker than he once was. And I'm going to give my diet the cold performer of the week. Wait, 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 before we get the button here, shouldn't we get the weight? No. Uh, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm at a plus. <laughs> I'm at a plus. Tells. Probably I'm at a plus fifteen since the last time I saw you, buddy. <laughs> boy, oh boy, like oh boy, oh boy, oh thick boy. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, thick boy bag milk coming at you. Three C's. Just keep warm in the winter. Yeah, it is getting chilly. Nothing wrong you know with what? that. There's just more to me to love, people. Uh, <laughs> Flipping the ledger to our hot performers of the week. This is the bright side of your life in the last seven days. I'm reversing the order here. On the left side of my screen, I see Tyler. You're first up on your Tourism Jasper Hot Performer of the Week. Former Edmonton football team equipment manager, Dwayne Mandrusiak. Fun fact, we curl on the same nights at the St. Albert Curling Club. But anyways, that's beside the point. Uh, after he was, yeah, I know, big flex, hey, big flex. Uh, after he was, you know, let go by the Edmonton football team during the pandemic, which was just an absolute joke, uh, news came out that he's going to be heading into the World Junior Bubble to help out with the equipment staffs, uh, to help all the equipment staffs of all the teams. So it was nice to see Dwayne Mandrusiak get back in the news a little bit in a positive way. And I know he's going to kill that role. So Dwayne Mandrusiak gets my hot performer of the week. Put some respect on my name. Shout out to whoever from Hockey Canada figured that one out. Oh, yeah. Good move by them. That was a great move by them. Um, Next up, Rick, you are in the middle of my screen. Your Tourism Jasper hot performer of the week. This one could have gone out a couple of weeks, weekends ago, but I think she got her first points last weekend. So we're going to go with Sarah Fuller, who is the first female in a Power 5 football conference, so one of the big five. And uh, she hit two, sink, two uh, point afters in the uh, SEC game last weekend. So uh, that's a huge shout-out to her. Cash money. 100%. Mr. Nation, Dan, you are up next. Your Tourism Jasper Hot Performer of the Week. Well, we're starting to get back into the season, so I'm going to go to uh, to a, a reporter, a local reporter, Mark Spector, uh, a man who takes a lot of a lot of abuse online. I think, and and uh, you know, he I, I love when a guy can take a moment to laugh at themselves. So he announced on his Twitter that uh, Theodore Lindstrom was going to be making his way back to training camp, and somebody uh, somebody asked him, "What's the over under on you being running him out of town?" To which Mark Spector responded. Dunno, was his dad a bullfighter? And he was kidding. <laughs> but I, I love when a guy can take a little moment to uh, to laugh at himself. So so my uh, hot performer of the week is Mark Spector. I like this right here. Uh, just to wrap this up, my Tourism Jasper hot performer of the week is going to go out to Jay Downton. He called me the other day and he said, what do you think about this idea I have, which is the Oilers Nation hospitality support team that we got up at nationgear.ca right now. Uh, it's a great idea. For 35 bucks you can pick up a t-shirt and get a $20 gift card to a restaurant or pub of your choice. Everything that we do at the nation is surrounded around getting the community together. We've had, we've been treated so well by the hospitality industry in this city that we want to do 
anything we could to try and give back. So I'm going to give my hot performer to Jay for the idea and to all of the amazing people that supported us in the initiative, whether that's buying a t-shirt and supporting a local shop with that money or just helping us spread this around social media. So for the Oilers Nation hospitality support team, everybody involved with the process, hot performer of the week. Shout out to me for almost letting my laptop die and losing this interview. I had to sprint to go grab my charger. Oh, that would have been bad. That would have been a cold performer for the ages. Hey, Jordan, remember when you said we could have an hour of your time? It's been 15 minutes. It's been 15 (laughs) minutes, guys. Yeah, sorry, Turns out we uh, needed to talk to you again. And could you like, you had some really good answers. So if you could try to remember exactly what you said in the interview that we accidentally lost, that'd be great. Um, this is our last show before Christmas. So uh, Merry Christmas to everyone listening. Happy holidays. Uh, whatever you're doing, I mean, stay safe and all that good stuff. And to you three, thank you all very much. I, I love talking to you guys every week. And uh, if you haven't noticed, I'm hastily trying to wrap this up so my laptop doesn't die. From all of us here at Oilers Nation Radio. The last thing I'm going to say before we say goodbye is please leave your podcast reviews. They've slowed down since I've stopped asking. So here I am asking. We've got, we're going to take a week off next week for Christmas, but then we'll be back with a fresh episode of Oilers Nation Radio. In the meantime, please leave us a review. Tell your friends, tell your aunties and uncles, coworkers, cousins, just yell it out your window. Oilers Nation Radio is available on all of the podcast platforms. (laughs) And I also want to wish you all a Merry Christmas from all of us here on the podcast and from Tyler waiting to push the button. This is Oilers Nation Radio, episode 117. Thank you to Sherwood Ford, Skip the Dishes, Hockey Canada, and Tourism Jasper for making it all possible. Have a great weekend, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy Festivus, Damien. Best wishes. Thanks for listening to Oilers Nation Radio, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media to stay up to date and never miss a podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.